<laughs> you know, um, I've actually done some ministry, but it's the first place that's a familiar place where we were actually together. And I remember the first time I went out, and I, I went to Arkansas. What in the round world is in Arkansas? Well, people that need Jesus, just like here. And, uh, you know, the Lord is so good. And um, I was a mess then, too. I, I mean, I was a real mess because I, I thought, you know, when Ed died, I said, you know, I had that scripture down pat. We don't grieve. I didn't read the rest of it. I thought, you know, I... I saw Ed go through so much suffering, and um, in in November of 2018, Ed had a massive stroke because, you know, being a quadriplegic just wasn't enough, I guess, and so he had this horrible stroke, and the one thing that Ed always had was his ability to talk, and the stroke took that from him, and it's hard to be a preacher and not be able to talk. He got aphasia, and I used to wonder, what in the world is aphasia? And aphasia is a speech condition that often happens when part of your brain from a stroke has been damaged, and everything in your head scrambles. It's like, I know what I want to say, but I don't know how to say the words anymore. And, you know, Ed was brilliant. Um, not sure why he married me, except that, oh, wait a minute, because he was brilliant. That was why. <laughs> no, <laughs> just kidding. I'm trying to lighten it up in here, okay, because pastor tried to wreck me. So, but he was brilliant. Uh, I used to say he was the brains and I'm the bronze. I know that sounds a little off maybe, but, um, you know, I did, the, I did the manual stuff, behind the scenes stuff, you know. I did his care. I did uh, the driving and the packing and the preparing and he just stayed in that word I mean that man's study he's got hundreds of sermons in the computer that I don't really know how to use but doggone it I'm going to learn because you can teach an old dog new tricks if they're willing he never got to preach them but he never stopped preparing so that if the Lord said go he could go and you know we need to have that mindset I'm reminded of I'm going to call it the Gospel of Hebrews 11. It's a, it's a chapter in Hebrews where God talks about all these mighty men and women of faith and all the great things that they had done. And then it says, and many, their lives were taken not receiving the promise. But they remained faithful. Well, it could be Ed Norman in that list. But he was ready and, you know, God isn't looking for you to necessarily do great things. He is looking for you to remain faithful no matter what we face. Because it's not what you do, it's what he did that God is after. And allowing that purpose of what he did to become mature in your everyday walk in this world. And we're going to look at an Old Testament story but I'm telling you, the cross is all in it because we're going to look at Moses. How many of you love the story of Exodus? It is a fascinating story. And you and I are going to get some freedom today if you can receive this word. I want you to open to Exodus 3. If you have your Bibles with you. And if you don't, don't look around at the naked people in the church. Just focus on the word. My pastor always says, if you don't have your Bible, you come naked. So I want you to, but I want you to take this in, take notes, let the Lord talk to you, okay? Exodus 3, and we're going to start in verse 7. 
it says, the Lord said, and if you want to put it up, I'm in NIV version this morning, Exodus 3, 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And then let's read 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Let me just say that parallelly speaking, we are a type of Israel in this passage. Would you agree with that? We're the people of God. And let me just say that Egypt is a type of sin or the, 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 um, the enemy of God's people. And it says my people are in Egypt and they're in bondage. He's talking to the church. And I would say without hesitating that the church of the Lord Jesus in the world today that we're living in is in bondage to sin and not sure how to get out. And a reason for a lot of this is because we have allowed mixture to come into the church. And God says, I won't share my glory with anyone or anything. And we have allowed for it to be Jesus plus in the church today. And it has caused the enemy to have a foothold. I had a friend who shared a message about, she, she shared about a foothold. And I thought, well, what exactly is a foothold? And I, I wish that I, would someone who has their phone and can look up the word foothold, please look it up, the, the definition. And if you're not afraid, I want you to read what foothold means. I can tell you in my own word, but go ahead, ma'am. A place where a person's foot can be lodged to support them securely, especially while climbing. A secure position from which further progress may be made. That's good. Did you hear that? A secure place for your footing where progress can be made. The church has allowed the devil to have a foothold in the body of Christ. He's, the picture here is this. You're running for your life from danger. And you try and run into a room that you think might be a safe place. But before you can slam the door and lock out that enemy that's after you, he gets his foot in the door, and now he has leverage. And once his foot is in that secure place, he can progress and build against you. Now, that's the picture that we see going on in Egypt right here with the Israelites. How many of you ever experienced that? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have, have ever experienced when you've allowed a foothold to come in and you didn't mean to maybe, you didn't realize what you were doing, or 
you knew that it wasn't right, but you didn't think it was a big deal because it was just a little foot. It wasn't like a big guy. It was just a foot. Well, that's all the enemy needs is those little things that we allow in our life. And before you know it, he's got you enslaved in chains, and you're being beat down every day. And you're working hard for that wicked one, even though you still are saved. And God will allow you to go into that place if you disobey him because he wants to prove himself to be a God of deliverance when we repent. And when we acknowledge and see for real that we really do need God. It's like, you know, the church has said, okay, God, I've learned this. I know how to do this. So thanks when I need you, I'll call. And he says, oh, really? Let me show you how needy you really are. And he just steps back. He doesn't leave you. He just takes a step back and says, show me what you got. And before you know it, you're saying, uncle. And you're crying out, Jesus. I want to tell you a funny story for just a minute. I know it may seem out of place, but I want to tell you how the Lord taught me this. I used to work in a nursing home. And there was this little lady. She was from the south. Her name was Nola. And Nola had a little bit of a digestive issue. So sometimes she would eat, and then you had to race her to the restroom so you didn't have to do a lot more work. Okay? Leave it at that. And as we're going down the hall, she's, she's yelling real loud, Honey, help! Help! And I'm like, Nola, please don't yell. We don't need to yell. Help! I said, Nola, I'm helping you. Everything's good. We're going to get you taken care of. And we get to a room, and we, we go in the restroom, and now there's tile walls, tile floor. It's really loud. And she's yelling, help! And I looked her in the face. I said, Nola, I'm helping you. This is me helping you. And she looked me right in the eyes, and she said, what did she say? I'm waiting for her feedback. Take a guess what she said. Thank you. No, she said, help! You got to get the accent in there. And so I finally, in my heart and in my mind, I said to the Lord, Lord, would you please tell this woman I'm helping her? He said, you know, Julie, I know just how you feel. I said, oh, Lord. She never yelled help again after that. This was an object lesson from the Lord. And God wants us to yell help, but then he wants us to know that he's heard our cry. And he sees what we're going through, and he knows that we're in a mess, and we can't fix it for ourselves. Just like these people couldn't. They were in a mess. And God said, I have. Well, let me go back there and read it so you can see what he says. God says in verse 7, indeed, that means for real, I have seen the misery of my people because, uh, in Egypt, in their sinful state, in this place that is messed up from the floor, up, as my husband used to say. And he says, I have heard. Do we really believe that God hears us when we pray, or do we pray because it's the right Christian thing to do? I'm, I'm just asking a question for you to think about, because I'll be honest with you. A lot of times I've prayed without any expectation that God was going to move. Anybody besides me ever been guilty? 
I want you to know tonight or this morning, gosh, I am so on the wrong time zone. I want you to know God hears you when you pray. He hears you when you don't even know you're praying. And the prayer he hears loudest is, God, help. Because just like if you had children and there was a lot of kids playing in a, in a park and all of a sudden your child screams for help, your ears are open and you rush to deliver your child. You don't know what trouble they might be in, but your child's voice is the only one you suddenly can hear. And you will rush to help your child. How much more will God the Father do that? And he heard their cry for help. And he didn't say, well, you made your bed lie in it. Ever hear those words? I did growing up. God doesn't do this like that. Now, he might talk to us about our sin. But before he does that, he's going to come to your rescue. And after you know that he's got you safe, he's going to begin to talk to you. And then he's going to give you help to overcome whatever mess you're in. So God has seen your misery that sin has caused. A little paraphrasing there. I have heard your cry because of the slave drivers, every demonic force and situation that has come against you. All right. And I am concerned about your suffering. In Hebrews, we read that Jesus said, I have been touched with the feelings of your infirmities. Therefore, come to me with boldness to the throne of grace that you may obtain help and mercy in your time of need. God feels what you're going through. I have just been walking through two years of missing the greatest man that I think God ever made. And you can argue with me, but you'll lose. So don't worry about it. Just say, yes, amen, that's right, and move on. The Lord will allow you to go through some things, and he will sometimes allow you to lose what you think is the greatest thing in your life so he can show you something even greater than what you lost. And for me, it's been that alone time with the Lord. And I may not get to most of my notes because I just feel like this is the verse, the verses that you need to really consider this morning. You need to know that God is saying, I see where you're at. You can't hide it from him. I know how it's painful. I know about the taskmasters. King James calls these, um, what do they call them here? Slave drivers. King James calls them taskmasters. He said, I know about them. What's a taskmaster? What's a slave driver? It's those voices in your head that say, you did this to yourself. Now, when you get it together, then you can go to God. That's a, that's a taskmaster. That makes you stay in bondage. Even if it's just a little bit longer, it keeps you where you are, and that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to be free more than you want to be free. It's the voice that tells you someone else can do it better. Moses said that. He said, are you sure you want me to go, Lord? Maybe there's someone better. Do you did you forget what happened last time I was in Egypt? Those are taskmaster voices. Those are voices that tell you God needs to go somewhere else. You're not the one. Oh, God, I'm not educated enough. I come from the wrong side of the tracks. I have red hair. Lord, help us. There is whatever, whatever it is that you look at in the mirror and see, he's going to use it against you to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. I 
I'm 64. I can't start this now. I'm old. Where were you when I was young and strong? He said, in the way. <laughs> you were in your own way, and you're certainly in mine. And now that you've been through some things, I can use you. And then he reminds you that there were others in the Bible that were 84, and God called them. Let me see. Joshua comes to mind. Caleb comes to mind. Moses comes to mind. They were in their 80s when they began their ministry. In their 80s, I said. Okay, now I live in a senior community now. I live in Sun City, Arizona. Where is that? Phoenix. Just go to Phoenix and then go west. You'll find it. And I work with seniors, and I love them. And a lot of them, they want to just retire and party. And let me tell you something about old folks. Old folks live like they ain't got no sense sometimes. And if you think that when people get old and they're not saved, that when they get old, they're going to come around because they've lived life and now they know they need something because they're close to death. Let me tell you, that would be wrong. People die the way they live. And they live the way they've lived until they die if Jesus does not intervene. And uh, I have seen more homosexual relationships and heard more. I hear everything when I'm a massage therapist because people think I'm their other kind of therapist. I don't know why, but they tell me stuff. But you know what I do? I don't bring it out of that room, but I do bring it to the Lord. And I pray for my people. And I have many that love the Lord. But I have a lot that love the Lord in word, but tell me about how they love their wine, too. And that tell me about living together outside of marriage. And they talk about, and they use language that I would be embarrassed to use, but they do. And these are taskmasters that have come in and begun to keep people in bondage. And there is no power of God in that lifestyle. God wants us to come out from among them. And it will cost you. When Moses was in this position of hearing from God, it was before a burning bush, the Lord began to, spoke, to speak to him, and he says, he said to the Lord, they're going to ask me what my authority is to come to them and speak in this way. Who the heck are you that you would come to me? And he's going to say, tell them God sent me. And God's got pretty good authority. And you and I have that same authority. We are sent by God into a dark world. Well, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher, but you know some lost people. They're in your life. You work with them. You see them at a restaurant. You, see, you mean talk to them in public places? Pastor, we can't do that. You're only supposed to talk about Jesus in church. Is that true? Some people feel that way, don't they? I went to church on Sunday. Now it's Monday. Let me live. That's not what the Lord wants us to do. He says, well, they're not going to believe me. If you were to go to verse 13, you would, or verse, excuse me, chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, you know, they're not going to believe me. God's people won't believe me that you sent me, and the world, Egypt, certainly won't believe me. That's taskmaster. Anything that keeps you from standing up and serving the Lord is a taskmaster and a thief and a liar, and we know who that is, right? Then verse 13, Moses still arguing with the Lord, and he says, can't you send someone else? Because you know I'm not qualified. I don't want to do this, Lord. Anything else but not this. That's a taskmaster. 
you need to deal with the taskmasters that in your that are in your life but trust me when i say our faithful god is always going to be with you he's going to take care of you i'm not going to preach a long time but i want you to hear this word okay verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4 i do want to read this exodus 4:15 and 16 you will speak to him and this is when Moses meets up with, or is getting ready to meet up with his brother Aaron because Moses had argued with the Lord and said, send someone else. And he said, well, I'll get Aaron. Surely he can talk. That's his big brother, right? And God says, you're going to go and speak to him and you will put words in Aaron's mouth and I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. See, this isn't what you are going to do on your own, being a witness for the Lord standing up for what is right, separating yourself from worldly ways. This is something God is going to help you to do and help you to teach others to do. It says, he, Aaron, will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if your words, are, it'll be, a, gosh, I can't read, I'm sorry. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. When you speak for the Lord, when you stand up for the things that God puts in your heart, you will not be doing the speaking. It will be as if the Lord himself is speaking through you. God is going to be with you. And then I promise when you do what he tells you, he will back you up 100% every single time. And you will always come into a fight. Can I just say that? I want you to know that. Because they had a fight, right? He went. He spoke to the people. They received the word. Oh, God's going to set us free. Yippee. First thing that happened, build your bricks today. Get your own straw. And they said, Moses, why did you ever come here to tell us we were going to be free? We're in a worse place now than we've ever been. Go away. Don't tell us about Jesus. We'll be fine. But I'm telling you, it isn't fine to have to stay under a slave master. It's not okay. But God says, if you will be faithful to me as I am always faithful to you, I will bring you not just out of a trial, but through a trial. And by going through it with me holding your hand, you will grow. You will get strong. You will become emboldened, and the enemy will have to leave. And that's exactly what we saw. There were a lot of plagues that came against Israel because, or against Egypt because Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go. The first plague that we hear about is actually found before we ever see it happen. And it's found in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And the Lord promised. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? He blamed God for the trouble they were in when actually it was Egypt trying to hold on to what he had. And it says, um, is this why you sent me ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name? He has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued them at all. That's what happens sometimes when you begin to stand up. But if there's no fight, you won't know what a victory is. And when he told Moses to go, the first thing he said is, you go and you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Israel is my firstborn. 
And he said, and if you don't let my firstborn go and worship me, I will kill your firstborn. Now, I believe that we don't see that written out, but I believe Moses, the first time he stood before Pharaoh, threatened to have his son killed by the Lord's hand. And I don't think Pharaoh was real thrilled about that, but he didn't believe the word of the Lord. So what God did is he actually tried to show mercy to Pharaoh by allowing all these other plagues that came. We see first the water turned to blood. Then we see frogs everywhere in the land. And then gnats came. And then by the time he got to plague number four, the flies, then God began to say words like this. And I will make a distinction between my people and your people. And his people were never touched by these plagues. But all of Pharaoh's people and the animals were touched by the plagues. Then it says um, that hail came and locusts came and darkness came. And the last plague we hear about is the death of the firstborn. But God told him before any of the plagues came, let my people go or you're going to lose your son. And God was saying, if you don't let my people go, I will cut off your posterity. And God, in his mercy, did the first thing he mentioned at the end of all the other plagues because God was trying to have mercy. He was trying to show Pharaoh, listen, I'm a God who keeps my word. I said, these plagues are going to come, but if you'll repent and let my people go, I will withhold the plagues. Do you hear that today? When we're obedient, we eat the good of the land. And God says, please let go. Well, he didn't say please. He just said, let my people go so they might worship. God wanted to restore his people. And his people, when they began to see the plagues come, I believe that after the first few plagues, they said, oh, God's serious here. And he empowered them by showing these plagues to them that he was a faithful God and a God of his word. And they knew when they began to see him keep his words concerning these plagues against Egypt, that God was truly going to deliver them in time. And Egypt was destroyed, thoroughly, completely destroyed. So I want to talk to you about the fact that when God tells you certain things, makes promises from his word to you, and suddenly a fight comes, God is not saying to you, you can't have what I showed you because there's a fight. God is showing to you that many times, because I've made a promise, because you believe my word, you will learn how to fight so that when I give you the desire of your heart that I have put in there, you will hold on to it and treasure it and cherish it. And God wants to do that this morning in this house. God wants you to begin to believe that he sees where you're at, that he is touched with what you're going through. That the pains that you feel, the suffering, the injustice that you've experienced, he has experienced it with you. And if you will hold on to his hand and look to the great and mighty God, the faithful God, God will never let go of you and he'll bring you through. He will not take you out of troubles. My husband died. That's a pretty hard trial. But before that, he got beat up regularly in his health. And he never stopped worshiping the Lord. So we would look at times, I think in our 35, almost 36 years of marriage, that I spent many years by his hospital bed. And I watched him suffer. And I would see nurses and hear nurses say, 
oh, I want that one to take care of. He is the best patient I've ever had. They would come in when they had free time and say, Pastor Ed, would you pray for me? So why is God putting you through a trial? Because somebody's watching you. You don't think they're watching, they're watching. And they want to know if that faith you said you believe in is real. And they're going to come to you because they saw how you didn't change who you were because it got hard. And they're going to say, I want what you have. There were a mixed multitude that left out of Egypt with Israel. And in order for them to leave with Israel, they had to come under the covering of the blood. They couldn't be outside of those homes where the blood had been covered. And you and I are under the blood covering. And if people are watching you, and they will enter into that same covenant of blood through our Lord Jesus, they can receive the same freedom and salvation that you and I have. So God's going to let you go through some hardships, okay? I'm just being real. If you're not going through anything hard, you're not bothering the devil's kingdom. And he won't bother you. So if that's what you want, he'll allow you to have that. He would rather you say, Lord, it's a fight, but I read the end of the book, and I know that I win. And even if, like in Hebrews 11, I die without receiving the promise the way I thought that I was going to receive it, you still win because you get victory in Jesus every time. There is not one person that's ever been faithful to serve the Lord that has not gotten the victor's crown. So I really don't have a lot more to share because I, I just feel like the message is God sees where you are. He sees you. He knows you by name. When you cry inside your heart, no one knows that you're going through a hard thing because you've learned how to put on a happy face. But inside, it's tearing you up, whatever you're facing. Maybe it's a sin issue that you hate, you despise, and you don't know how to be free. I'm going to tell you how to be free. Come under the covenant of blood. When you come back to Calvary with whatever you're struggling with, and you come back a million times until you're free, you just keep coming back. And God sees that. He sees that you're suffering. He sees that you don't want to live in sin. And he sees that if you keep coming back, he knows you're embarrassed to have to come back again with the same thing. But he says, you know, you come until you're free because there is no other freedom than Calvary. And these people had to go through one thing after another, after another, after another. But that blood set them free. And they got out of Egypt. And not one of them went out sick. Not one of them went out poor. Not one of them went out in pain. They all walked out in strength. They walked out with the riches of Egypt. They plundered Egypt. And the thing that once had been their taskmasters was drowned in the sea, never to be seen again. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, this word, Lord, that you hear us and you see what we're going through, let us hold on to that. You are a loving and good father, and good fathers correct their children. Good fathers give them direction. Good fathers will talk to them about their sin, but then give them such grace and mercy so that they will have the courage to turn around and come back to you. Lord, the prodigal son left, 
and he got trapped in the bondage of sin. And Lord, you didn't run after him to try and convince him not to go because you'd already done that. But Lord, you watched every single day for his return. And the minute he just turned his face to you, Lord, you ran after him. You grabbed him up in your arms and you covered him, Lord God, and you protected him from any of the jeers of the onlookers. And Father, today in this house, Lord, I'm asking you to bless these people, <coughs> these people with the knowledge that you see, you know, you hear, and you care for them. Lord, meet every need. Put courage in their hearts and touch them, Lord God, until they can walk upright before you in complete victory. And then, Lord, as they are comforted by the God of all comfort, I'm asking you to send them out to comfort others who are going through some of the same trials that you have brought them through and to bring strength and encouragement to others. And we give you all the glory and the praise and the honor for it in Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Lord. Yes.